Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. So, good morning. This morning, this morning you get to hear from the old hippie. And if you doubt my status, I begin with Bob Dylan. So... 1965, that concert was. He wrote that song, The Times They Are Changing, the year before. And I don't imagine he had any idea of just how much time would, how much change was coming over his lifetime. Uh, Some of that has been good. There have been good things that have happened. We've seen a lot of improvement, for instance, in uh, racial relationships and so forth. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of stuff that's happened during my lifetime that I don't think is good. And probably many of you would agree with that. In uh, 2012, a political scientist named um, Charles Murray wrote a book called Coming Apart. It draws on five decades of research, making the case that America was coming apart economically, socially, and culturally. And I want to share a few of the changes that he documented from 1963 to 2022 now. One, divorce rate. In 1963, 3.5% of American households were headed by a divorced person. And today that rate is up to 50%. In 1963, 5% of American population were out of wedlock births, and today that's up to 20 per, 22%. In 1963, illegal drug arrests were about 18 per 100,000 Americans. Today that's 300 per 100,000 Americans, and that's after a, a dramatic drop, it was much higher two or three years ago before states stopped prosecuting marijuana crimes. Number four, religious values. In 1963, only 1% of Americans had no religious preference, and 50% in a Gallup poll said that they had attended church that week. Today, there's a whopping 31% of Americans have no religious preference. 22%, only 22%, claim to attend church regularly. And the work ethic... In 1963, 98% of civilian men aged 30 to 40 were part of America's workforce, and today that's dropped down to 81%. Now, all of these are values that we as followers of Christ think are important. Family, sexual relationships, drug use, religious values, work ethic, those are important values. And over the last 60 years, we've seen a real decline in how much our American culture values those things. When I grew up, I watched family sitcoms like Leave It to Beaver. Anybody remember Leave It to Beaver? Yeah, okay, a few of us old people are up here. Leave It to Beaver, Andy Griffith Show, uh, I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy was a married couple, 
And they weren't even allowed to be pictured sharing a bed. They had twin beds in their bedroom because you just didn't do stuff like that in the 1960s. You didn't show that on TV. You know, when, my, when I was growing up, my parents never had to preview a TV show or a movie to determine if it was something I could watch. I dare say none of you parents can say that now. Our entertainment venues today are filled with foul language, sexual promiscuity, dysfunctional families, unfaithful marriage partners, children who treat their parents with disdain. And the really unfortunate thing is that these are often accurate portrayals of the modern American family. Many people think the general accepted philosophy of our day is relativism. That is the belief that every point has value because there's no such thing as absolute truth. We can't know absolute truth. So truth is, is, what is ever, whatever is culturally acceptable. Morality then is a social construct. Appropriate behavior is not determined by standards, but by cultural norms. Whatever the culture accepts as normal, that's okay. And for instance, marriage as opposed to living together. 1963, living together was not a cultural norm outside of marriage. Now it is, and even accepted among many Christian families. We accept truth as whatever the culture is willing to accept. There are no biblical standards. There is not a belief generally in absolute truth. So parents, teachers and schools, they talk to young people about the importance of safe sex, but we don't talk about abstinence as a viable alternative, even among Christian homes. We live in these densely populated urban areas where children grow up feeling alone, isolated, anonymous, hopeless. They spend their days watching TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, and those venues are filled with violence, graphic language, sexual situations. Advertisements focus on sexual attraction. We see violence in our media. And I bet Bob Dylan had no idea that he was prophesying such a steady deterioration and unraveling of our American culture when he wrote, the times are a-changing. I think we can all agree there's been a steady moral decline in this nation, in our culture, during our lifetimes. But you know what? That's nothing new. That began thousands of years ago in the garden when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. Humanity has been on a moral decline since that day. We have always been there. We are still there. And so the question we're going to talk about this morning is a question that the psalmist asked 3,000 years ago. The question is, how do I live in an impure world? We recognize the world around us as impure. How can I live in purity in that world. And 3,000 years ago, the psalmist asked the same question in Psalm 119.9, how can a young person stay on the path 
of purity. And the answer he gave is as viable today as it was then, by living according to your word. Note that he does not say by reading your word, by studying your word, even by memorizing your word. It's not about knowing God's word, not totally at least, but it is about living God's word. God has given us his word as a lifeboat in an impure world that will help us to live in purity. But here's the thing about lifeboats. You guys have been on cruises, many of you. The first thing they do before they ever leave the harbor is they tell you where your lifeboat is. They give you your assignments. Everybody goes, you do a drill and you stand before your lifeboat, maybe even put on your life vest, right? That lifeboat is totally useless when the ship is sinking if you don't get on it. Knowing where it is does you no good at all if you don't go there and get on it. Well, God's word is the same way. Knowing God's word is useless if you don't apply it, if you don't follow it, if you don't use it. Jesus told a parable about two men who built houses, one on the sand and one on the solid rock. You remember some of us used to sing that song in preschool, right? The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and, come on, sing it with me. The floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went splat, right? So what's the solid rock? upon which we build a house that stands. Because Jesus said, the wise man built a house on the solid rock and it stood. I ask people that and they say, the rock is Christ. And that's absolutely true. Jesus is our solid foundation upon which to build our spiritual lives. But that's not the whole of the truth that Jesus was teaching on this, with this parable. Look at Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You get that? They hear the word and they do the word. The foolish man heard the words too. He knew what Jesus was teaching, but he didn't do it. And so his house fell. The wise man follows it. You see, the key to living in purity. The key to building your life on a solid foundation is obedience. Let me say that again. Obedience is the key to purity. I'm not talking about, uh, about being saved or maintaining your salvation by works. That's not the point here. What I'm talking about is growing ever closer to your Lord, walking in purity, walking beside him and growing closer to him every day that comes through following Christ and obedience. That being say, said, I need to point out that if you don't know the word, you can't obey the word. So go to Sunday school, listen to the preacher, read the Bible, study it, learn it, memorize it, but be sure you do it. Don't just know what the word says, put it into practice. Make the teaching of Christ through his word a guiding principle in your life. As the psalmist says, live according to it. 
So how do we do that? How, do, how can I internalize God's word in such a way that I will live and when I face these difficult uh, trying situations in an impure world, how can I have the word so internalized that I remain in purity? Well, fortunately, the psalmist goes on to tell us a few things. Three points that he makes here. First of all, in verse 10, he tells us we need to begin by treasuring the one who gave us the word, treasuring the author. He says in verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. The key to learning and keeping God's word is the desire to know and be with and walk with the Lord. So the real question we need to ask ourselves is what do I desire? What's the desire of your heart? The problem most of us have is that our first and foremost desire is not to walk with the Lord. It's something else. Something that's coming from an impure world. But if you're seeking the Lord, you're gonna spend time in his word because that's where he reveals himself to us. You're gonna to try to understand him by understanding what, how he has revealed himself in his word. You're gonna to wanna to grow closer to him. And when you do that, the study of scripture is meaningful. It's fulfilling to many even Christian people, the study of God's word is dry and tedious and burdensome. But if you're studying it with the desire to use it so that you might know the Lord, then it can become a joyful experience because it helps you to achieve what your true desire is, which is to know the Lord. So the psalmist says, I seek you with all my heart. The key to, the first key to living in purity is to seek the Lord with all of your heart. And Paul uh, puts it this way in Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Watch this, I consider them garbage. Everything out there in this impure world, he says, I consider that garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, the primary goal of my life is to know Jesus and everything else is nothing but garbage. What do you desire? Do you seek the Lord with all of your heart? If you truly wanna have a right relationship with the Lord, if you wanna grow in that relationship, then you're going to turn to the place where he reveals himself and that is his word. And you're going to treasure that and follow that because that draws us close to him. Jesus taught us that our hearts naturally desire or our hearts naturally follow what we desire, what we treasure. So what do you treasure? If you're having a hard time treasuring the word of God, maybe it's because, no, it is because you don't love God the way you ought to. You're not truly seeking him with all of your heart. Living the word of God, living in purity in an impure world 
begins with loving God and seeking him with all your heart. Secondly, then, what naturally follows is that we will treasure God's word. We treasure the author, then we treasure his word. In verse 11, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that word hide in the original language means to hold on to, to hoard, to protect, to see it as tremendously valuable. In the Holman Christian Standard Translation, this is translated, I have treasured your heart, your word in my heart. And I think that's a great translation. He's telling us we ought to treasure God's word, not just memorize it. He's not just, you know, I've heard this all my life. You need to memorize God's word so that you won't be led into temptation, right? So that you might not sin against God. But he's talking about in treasuring it, internalizing it, making it a part of your life. I've memorized all kinds of stuff in my life. I have hundreds of songs that, that every morning I wake up, with, and you guys do too, right? With these earworms, you wake up in the morning with some song that's just kind of out of the blue and you're like, where did that come from, right? It may be a, a, a hymn or a worship song. It may be a popular song like Bob Dylan's The Times There Are Changing, or it may be something completely silly like, the, the spider that went up and down the spout, right? I never know what that song is going to be when I get up in the morning, but I guarantee you, I don't really treasure those songs. I know them, I don't treasure them, and I'm not gonna build my life following a spider that's going up and down a water spout. Not gonna do it. We need to recognize the value of God's word. We need to treasure God's word. And we need to see it as something to be protected, to be watched over, and mostly to be used in an appropriate manner. If we treasure the author, we will treasure his word. So memorize it. That's good. Learn it. Read it. Study it. Don't stop there. Meditate on it. Think about it. Think about the situation that you're in and ask yourself, how can I apply what I read today to this situation? Did you know that the secret of having success in, your, in, your, in, in doing what God has called you to do is knowing and following his word? Look what God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8. Now this is before Joshua led the people of, of Israel to conquer the, the uh, promised land in Canaan. And God came to him and he said in Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it and get this promise, then you will be prosperous and successful. He says to Joshua, you want to succeed in defeating and conquering the promised land? Know my word and follow it. He doesn't just say meditate on it, but there's a purpose in that. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do all that is written therein. We keep God's word in our mind. We know it, we remember it. We keep it in our hearts. We treasure it and we need to keep it at hand, using it in every situation that we face. And if you do that, God promises you, you will be successful in accomplishing his plan in your life. Now don't, don't misunderstand me here. When I'm talking about success, I'm not talking about the big house with the Maserati in the driveway, all right? I'm talking about accomplishing the plan that God has given, that God has planned in advance for you to fulfill, for you to complete. 
God has a plan for you. And by treasuring him and treasuring his word and following in obedience, you can accomplish that plan. You can be successful in the only thing that matters in this life. And that is fulfilling God's will. Treasure God, treasure his word. And thirdly, the psalmist tells us to proclaim his word. In verse 13, he tells us, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. You see, in a world that doesn't believe in absolute truth, in an impure world that says whatever you believe is fine, they need to hear and see the truth. And they see that in us when we obey God's word, when we practice a pure life, and we talk about it. We share our faith verbally. An obedient lifestyle coupled with a faithful conversational witness. That is the proof of the gospel. That is the evidence of your faith. I have a sign in my office that says, uh, it's attributed to Francis of Assisi, maybe you've heard it. It says, preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. He's saying we need to live out our faith, and he's absolutely right. But here's the thing it doesn't say. It's always necessary to use words. Your lifestyle and your pure living needs to be coupled with a verbal witness. Now, we're all familiar with the people that come to church on Sundays and they speak the Christian lingo, right? They know all the things to say and do, and yet when they go out into workplace and during the week, they live completely ungodly lives, and we say, oh, that's so hypocritical, right? Well, let me tell you something. If you're doing your best to live a pure life, you're studying the Word and you're living it, and you're, try, and you're trying to show people what a Christian lifestyle looks like, but you're not talking about it. You're not telling people, this is why I live the way I live. This is who I am following. You're a hypocrite, just as much as that other person is. The last words that Jesus gave us before he ascended into heaven were, you will be my witnesses, right? If you're not sharing that witness... You're not following him. If you're not being obedient to God, you're not walking with him in obedience, then you're walking away from him in disobedience. The solid rock upon which you can build a pure life is obedience by living according to your word. That doesn't happen overnight. That takes a lifetime of diligence, discipline, sacrifice, practice, Kind of like learning an instrument. Some of you can play in musical instruments. You didn't just sit down at a piano and, be, and play a, 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 like a virtuoso pianist. At some point, you probably put one hand up there and started picking out three blind mice. That's what I started on, right? And eventually you add the second hand. You learn more about the, the discipline, about the music. Your ability becomes greater and you can play more and more complex musical styles. But that takes discipline, it takes daily practice, and it takes diligence, and it does that for any skill, and living a pure life is no different. You begin with the simple truths that you already know. What do you know God wants you to do? He wants you to pray. He wants you to worship together. He wants you to spend time in his word. He wants you to be involved in ministry in his name. 
He wants you to share a witness. Be faithful in telling people about your faith in Christ. As you learn those basic skills, and as you practice those basic skills, God reveals more and more to you about specific ways that he wants you to serve him. And you grow in that relationship, but it's a lifelong process that demands commitment, discipline, sacrifice. That process begins by treasuring your relationship with the Lord, by seeking to know him so that you can walk with him intimately. And it moves on then from treasuring the the author to treasuring the word that he's given us. It naturally flows to loving God's word because through, through the word we can learn how to walk close with him. And we make that effort to understand his word and follow him in obedience so that we can walk with him. And as you're walking with him, share your faith, proclaim the gospel. Let people see you visibly living a pure life and verbally speaking about why you do that and where you receive the power to live a pure life in an impure world so that they can see there is absolute truth. It's found in the scripture. We call it the gospel. And it changes lives. Let the world around you see a changed life. Bob Dylan wrote, the times they are a-changing. What Christ says to us is, I want to change your life. We've watched that moral decay of our culture over the lifetime, but you don't have to be a part of that decline. You can live a life of purity in an impure world by following this psalmist's advice. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to know and follow your word. Help us to desire above all else to know you to draw close to you. And as we read and study and internalize your word and follow you, help us to grow in our knowledge of you. And Lord, give us the desire also to share our belief, our faith with those around us. Let them see the difference that you have made in our lives. Let the people around us see the truth of the gospel in the pure lives that we live, and the faith that we profess. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as you go out this week, follow God's word, live in purity. At your workplace, live in purity. In your homes, in your neighborhoods, at the grocery store, when you're driving down the highway and that guy cuts you off, be pure. When you're talking on the telephone and he puts you on hold, live in purity. Let me leave you with the words of Paul. In Philippians 4, starting with verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. God bless you. 
Have a wonderful week. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.